Good morning. It is said that when the British surrendered to the Americans and the French at Yorktown in our War of Independence, as they marched out, the British regimental band played a song called The World Turned Upside Down. It's got some kind of funny lyrics to that song. Some of the words go like this. If buttercups buzzed after the bee, if boats were on land, churches at sea, if ponies rode men and if grass ate the cows, and cats should be traced into holes by the mouse, if summer were spring and the other way round, then all the world would be upside down. That the greatest empire on earth could be defeated by colonials just wasn't right, you know? It's like ponies riding men and cows eating grass. And that's the song people would sing when something just too fantastic to believe was going on. Something the most zealous, hateful enemy of the Christian faith became the greatest evangelist. Something like that happening. Something impossible. So the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, as we said last time I was with you, was one of the most impactful events actually in the history of the world. His significance as a missionary and a writer of large parts of the New Testament is only magnified by how Jesus Christ turned his personal life upside down. There have been many remarkable conversions of men and women down through the ages but none quite this upside down because Saul was such an extreme opponent of Christianity and the turnaround was so great he actually was made an apostle of Jesus Christ which is something very unusual there were very few of those. So the apostles were special they were the highest authority in the church even above prophets and like prophets they received divine revelation but even a prophet didn't have the same level of authority as an apostle. So Saul went from being this violent oppressor of Christianity to being an apostle in a couple of days. So it's an amazing story. Saul is going to lose much yet gain an impact on the world that he could not have possibly imagined. So everything external about Paul's life is being turned upside down and even more so his internal world is immediately turned upside down or maybe we should say right side up because he already was upside down in terms of what's right and wrong. So Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and that changed him forever. So we're going to pick up the narrative kind of where we left off last time in verse 6 of chapter 9 where Jesus is speaking to um, Saul and says get up and enter the city and it will be told to you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground and though his eyes were opened he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand they brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So Jesus speaks to him, commissions him. We saw last time uh, in Paul's own description of this event in Acts chapter 26 verses 16 through 18 how Jesus commissioned him to open the eyes of the Gentiles quote so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Jesus says. And when the appearance of Jesus is over 
Paul was blind. I mean blind. He had to be led by the hand it says here. So he's taken on into Damascus and he's put up in the house of a man named Judas. There's no significance there. It was a common name. Uh, So let's think about these first three days. Can you imagine what it was like for him? The first three days at Judas's house. I don't know what Saul thought about his blindness but being blinded was not a judgment on him. It was a gift. It was a gift. When you are blind, think about it. What are you really left with? Well, people get used to it and they adjust, but if you first are just immediately struck blind, all you're left with is pretty much your own thoughts. I mean, you can't look at anything. Nothing can get your attention. You have some really serious internal time with yourself and there's just nothing else to distract you. So for 72 hours, Saul could reflect and think and pray. And there's a lot to think and pray about. Like the testimony of Stephen. The day he was stoned to death for his faith in Christ. Saul was there. Or the day that that many days that Saul would jail. Arrest and jail Christians and torture them. And sometimes kill them. And then he had to think about the new reality. Jesus is alive. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the risen Lord. Jesus came personally to Saul to reveal himself to him. That's the new reality. So Saul is not ignorant of who Jesus really is. In fact he would probably remember Stephen's words which are recorded in Acts chapter 7 verse 51 where Stephen said to the Sanhedrin um, you men are stiff necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one. And you have now become betrayers and murderers of him. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. I'm sure he was reflecting on those words about himself because he was in hearty agreement with the murder of Stephen. Guilty of murdering the righteous one. The Messiah. Guilty of not keeping the law. Saul prided himself on keeping the law. But did he? Well he had three days to really think about that. Whether or not he was really faithful to the law. And you know when we read Romans chapter 7. We find out that he realized at some point that he did not. And it was probably during this time. The law he says actually excites sin. And he talks about covetousness he could kind of check off I didn't murder anybody well he did but um, nobody that was unjustly murdered by in his mind uh, didn't commit adultery didn't steal those kind of things but covetousness that was a sin he was guilty of so he had time to think about that Stephen when he was killed also had a vision if you'll remember and he announced behold I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God and as they stoned him He said Lord Jesus receive my spirit. Saul heard that. He heard that Jesus was the exalted Lord. That Jesus could forgive. That Jesus was being appealed to as one who could forgive. Which only God can do. So as Saul became the persecutor he would have learned even more about what the disciples of Jesus believed. That he paid for our sins on the cross. That his resurrection was the father's seal on his saving work. That Jesus is in fact God incarnate in flesh. The word become flesh. How he must have hated 
hearing that in his days as a persecutor, people proclaiming that Jesus was God in the flesh, he would have thought it extreme blasphemy, more than worthy of death, worthy of torture. But it's all true. And now he knows that it's true. Three days of blindness to think about that. That was a valuable gift from God. And Paul used that time well. That he didn't eat. That he fasted during those days. Shows great humility and a seeking after God. So as the Lord worked in Saul's heart. And when he decided that three days of prayer and reflection. Brought Saul to the place he wanted him to be spiritually. The Lord decided it was time for Saul to begin his Christian life. His Christian walk in ministry and in fellowship with other believers. The end result of salvation should always be ministry and fellowship with other believers. That's what it's all about. So God taps one of the believers in Damascus to go to Saul and lay hands on him. So if you look at chapter 9 verse um, 10 it says there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias and the Lord said to him in a vision Ananias and he said here I am Lord so Ananias he's ready to serve right tell me what you want me to do Lord I am ready but he wasn't quite expecting I don't think what followed verse 11 the Lord said to him get up and go to the street called straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul for he is praying and he has seen a vision In a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. A man from Tarsus named Saul? Isn't that the man that drove all of us out of Jerusalem? Wasn't his name Saul from Tarsus? Isn't the grand inquisitor of the Sanhedrin Saul of Tarsus? The arresting guy, the torture guy who tortured the saints? That Saul of Tarsus? Well it's not that he doesn't want to obey the Lord but Ananias' shoes sort of seem stuck to the floor until he gets a clear word from the Lord that the Lord knows what he's asking of him. So he's looking for a little reassurance here. So verse 13 Ananias answered Lord I have heard from many about this man how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. And Lord that would include me right? I mean that's what he's thinking. Verse 15. But the Lord answered him. Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine. To bear my name before the Gentiles. And kings. And the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer. For my name's sake. So the the Lord is graciously responding to Ananias' fears about this man. Uh, He is a chosen instrument of mine. Well who chose him? Well the Lord chose him. So wow that changes everything. So suddenly the situation goes from scary for Ananias to kind of exciting. He grabs his hat and he's out the door. I don't know if they wore hats but he goes out the door and on Saul's end he's waiting for Ananias because he's had this vision too we've learned. He's, He's not a danger to anybody anymore. So the Lord tells Ananias that Saul has been praying. So the blindness and the time sent him into this mode of prayer and fasting. He's ready now and Ananias is being sent. So you know when you're born again a great change takes place within you, inside you. Uh, Spiritual life awakens. 
But that new life takes time to work itself out. There's a lot to do. The very idea of being born again suggests that there is indeed a spiritual infancy and uh, we need to do a lot of growing when we come to the Lord. So Saul is just beginning that process. He's a baby Christian, if you will. That's why Peter says uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, he says, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to your salvation. So you need to have a life of prayer, a life of self-examination, and you must feed on the word of God. We must always be doing that. You cannot coast in the Christian life and still be useful to God. You have to apply yourself. You have to be nourished and you have to grow. So this is not just some formula. There's a real, there is self-discipline in doing things the right way, obviously. But it is first and foremost, it's an attitude. It's a, a disposition of the heart. And mainly it's humility. And Saul is not resisting what God is doing in his life. He is humble before God. That's why he's fasting and praying. That shows that. So fasting and praying in the Holy Spirit, um, that's an amazing thing that happens internally that God works in us when you do that. So Ananias goes to this street called Straight to the house of Judas who's probably not a Christian because it's all these unbelievers that took Saul there. And there he meets Saul. And Luke chooses to give a pretty quick summary of Ananias' meeting with Saul. There's not a lot of detail here but it must have been an amazing and very emotional scene. I mean Saul would have felt Ananias's hands on him um, but these two words say everything. Brother Saul. Verse 17 Ananias departed entered the house and after laying his hands on him said brother Saul. Those words must have sounded very sweet indeed. Did not matter what Saul had done what Saul was previously He's a brother now. As the apostle would later say himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. Therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold new things have come. That is our relationship. To all who call upon the Lord from the heart. Nothing they did before matters in regard to this relationship. They won't be perfect as none of us are. But they are all in the family. All who have been born from above are in our family. The old things have passed away and new things have come. So verse 17. Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me. So that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he, was, he regained his sight and he got up and was baptized. And he took food and was strengthened. So immediately this stuff flakes out of his eyes and he can see his brother in Christ. The first Christian he can see in a happy way. And even before he gets a bite to eat after fasting for three days before he eats he gets baptized. Really important. By the way just as a theological point you could notice that he was called brother Saul before he got baptized. Baptism doesn't save you or put you into the body of Christ. You're already that by faith. And Saul had that. So First things first he gets baptized then he gets some supper. Now Saul is a baby Christian and like most baby Christians he can't wait to tell people about Jesus. So uh, let's pick it up in the middle of verse 19 there. It says now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues saying he is the son of God. In the synagogues no less. 
So is this the guy they were expecting from Jerusalem? Can you imagine how these people who knew about Saul the persecutor reacted uh, from both sides? Brother Saul we know your reputation well. He's in the synagogue see. Please speak to us about why you've come to us from the high council in Jerusalem. Saul would say something like maybe well sure. Thank you very much. First of all I'd like to say Jesus is the Christ the son of God. Verse 21. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests. So Saul he could not only argue from the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus is the son of God Psalm 2 Psalm 110 Daniel chapter 7 but he can bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus personally. Jesus came to him he met him he's an eyewitness and he probably started with his testimony and used the arguments that he had heard from those being persecuted as time went on though he would have studied the scriptures more for himself and developed his own approach to evangelism. Verse 22 um, suggests strongly his this growth in being able to shape his gospel proclamation and his ability to use the Old Testament in his presentations and discussions. Verse 22 says Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. No wonder people were amazed. He had it all locked up and had his arguments down and developed them carefully and presented Christ as the Messiah to everybody there. Okay now verse 23 begins with these words when many days had passed. So there's a indefinite indefinite period of time here and we're not told how long this is. It could be quite a while. It could be months. Um, could be longer. But as we previously have seen in our time together Paul feel, fills in some of the details of that time in Galatians chapter 1 verse 16 through 18 and one of the things he says there he says I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who are apostles before me but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. So this could have been several months like I said uh, preaching and perhaps receiving more revelation from Jesus in Arabia. Jesus told him he was going to appear to him more. And at that time Arabia was part of the Nabataean kingdom and that would include modern Jordan and its capital which is the famous city of Petra back in the time that's the capital of the Nabataean kingdom. Uh, today that's a huge tourist attraction Petra that's the city that's literally carved into mountains stone mountains that's where everybody lived that's where all their accommodations were it was carved into rock a city of rock and in Saul's time it was at the absolute height of its glory under King Aretas the fourth it was an independent kingdom as well it wasn't under Roman control that wouldn't happen for another 80 years or so so when he returns to Damascus there has built up quite a desire in the Jewish community to take him down. So there's been a lot of discussion by this time word would have gone back to Jerusalem and envoys back and forth exchanges of information about Saul's preaching in Damascus preaching that Jesus was the Christ the son of God. So to the high priest in Jerusalem Saul would have been seen as what? A traitor right? An absolute traitor to the cause and word would have been sent out to seize him if he ever showed his face in Damascus again. So he does return to Damascus and he finds out rather quickly that he's a marked man. Verse 23. 
When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were also closely watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. So the hunter becomes the hunted now and uh, it's not a good situation. They actually have people watching the gates so Saul could not escape. They wanted him dead, very dead. And it's really interesting in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 Paul actually talks about that time in a really brief way. It's a wonderful note there in 2 Corinthians because Paul's talking about power and weakness and the false apostles pseudo apostles had come to Corinth claiming great things for themselves great power they were the power of God manifest they were super apostles they actually called himself that today they'd be on Christian TV no doubt and so Paul started telling about his displays of power next to them so he's saying oh you guys are boasting in your great power let me boast a little bit so in 2nd Corinthians chapter 11 verse 23 he says are they servants of Christ I speak as if insane I more so in far more labors far more imprisonments beaten times without number often in danger of death five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes three times I was beaten with rods once I was stoned three times I was shipwrecked a night and day I have spent adrift in the sea I've been on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers amongst false brothers. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food in cold and exposure. Apart from such ex- external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. You know, Paul could have talked about his miracles. He could have talked about the fact that he was personally commissioned by Jesus. He could have talked about how once he struck a wicked magician with temporary blindness. But he's only going to boast in Christ. Not in himself. For himself he will boast of his weakness. His suffering. That's the mark of a godly man. A godly man doesn't boast in his power. And how important he is. But in how much he's willing to endure for Christ. How much Christ has placed on him. And made him suffer. So in 2 Corinthians 11. He concludes with this little story. So I said all of that to get to this. This is 2 Corinthians 11.32. He said. This is right after he said all that about his weakness. He said. In Damascus. The ethnarch under Aretas the king. Was guarding the city of the Damascenes. In order to seize me. And I was let down in a basket. Through the window in the wall. And so escaped his hands. Wow that's a mighty story. Pretty heroic there. Being lowered out of a city wall. In a basket. So even the Nabataean king had lent force we learned there to have Saul caught. Technically Damascus was outside of his jurisdiction but his um, territory actually went right up, almost right up to the gates of Damascus. So uh, that's all part of what would be called Arabia at that time the Nabataean kingdom. So his guys are there helping watch out for, for, for Saul. And as soon as he comes out they nab him. That was the plan. So every gate was watched. So he went out of a window in the wall 
Now, you don't put windows in a wall protecting a city low to the ground. They're really high up. So he had to be lowered by a rope in a basket down really far down to the ground. Acts chapter 9 verse 25. His disciples took him at night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. That's pretty embarrassing actually. How weak is that? But that's just the point he wanted to make in contrast to the super apostles in Corinth. But here we learn that that's how he escaped. He did escape. Now Luke offers a short paragraph at this point on Saul's first visit to Jerusalem as a Christian. So this is the visit he mentions briefly in his letters, letter to Galatians. We talked about this on a previous day as well. Galatians um, 1 18 it says then three years later I went up to Jerusalem and became acquainted with Cephas that's Peter and stayed with him for 15 days but I did not see another one of the apostles except James the Lord's brother. So he didn't meet Peter or James right away. He couldn't connect with the church. Their whole experience with him was that he was a ferocious persecutor. So verse 26 in Acts 9 it says when he came to Jerusalem he tried repeatedly to associate with the disciples yet they were all afraid of him as they did not believe that he was a disciple. They thought I'm sure it was some kind of a trick or a ruse to get in among them and do them serious harm. So how could Saul be a disciple? I mean the whole idea is kind of crazy right? So fortunately a very fine Christian, an excellent man, one we've already met in the book of Acts, uh, he steps forward and this is Barnabas and he was introduced by Luke in Acts chapter 4 verse 36 and it was said there that his name was really Joseph, uh, a Levite of Cyprian birth, but he was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement. So Barnabas, the kind of guy he was, was an encourager, a a lifter of people, a a one that um, brings you along, and he's going to bring Saul along. He lifts people up. So naturally he's the kind of personality and the the man with a certain spiritual gift to to really get a hold of Saul and welcome him and hear his story and treat him like a brother. So it's Barnabas who personally introduces Saul to the Christian community and to the apostles that are there. So verse 27 Barnabas took hold of him. I don't think it means he forcibly grabbed him but he got a hold of him, put his hand on him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, that he had talked to him, that Jesus had talked to him, and how he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus at Damascus. So Barnabas tells the whole story of Saul to them. And once the apostles met him it was very clear that Saul was genuine, that he really loved the Lord and he wanted to serve him. He was a new man. So you know we know that Saul as we mentioned in Galatians 1 stayed with Peter for two weeks. And then he starts sharing Christ to the Greek speaking Jewish community in Jerusalem. He does that right away actually. Verse 28. And he was with them moving about freely in Jerusalem speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews. So he would kind of get into back and forth with the Greek speaking Jewish community. We've talked about them before. You remember them right? Saul once held their coats while they killed Stephen the apostle, uh, not the apostle Stephen, the deacon Stephen. So Acts chapter 7. So now Saul is taking up Stephen's mantle actually and preaching Jesus as the Messiah and as the Son of God. And the people he's preaching to are his old buddies. They were his on his side of everything. So uh, they're, they're his old acquaintances. 
How do they respond to the gospel message coming from Saul? Well they want to kill him. Verse 29. But they were attempting to put him to death. So nothing's changed on their side. And it makes sense. I mean if they wanted him dead in Damascus. Certainly the chief priests and the leaders of that community that he once served. And, and now in their eyes has betrayed them. They would be seeking his life. And would have been expected maybe on Paul's part. Saul's part that they were going to do that. And maybe it was expected. I don't know. It doesn't say. But it's, it's logical that that would have happened. You might think the deadly intentions of his opponents would sour Saul on the idea of preaching boldly out in the streets and arguing with people. Preaching Jesus seems to lead to death. Nobody knows it more than he for he was one of the killers at one time. He knew that was the price potentially and he came to expect it and he no longer feared death for Jesus sake. He has a commission from Jesus to preach the gospel. In fact he specifically has a commission to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Well that really hasn't started yet. Uh, unless you count Arabia. That could have done there. But it seems like he was hitting synagogues in most of those areas. But he's got to live if that's ever going to happen. If he's going to preach to the Gentiles. So Saul's church family in Jerusalem thinks it best to get him out of town. And on to the Gentile mission field. So verse 30. Now when the brothers learned of it they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So they take him down to the coast, put him on a ship and send him to his, his home, his hometown actually. Far from Jerusalem and pretty far from Damascus in Asia Minor. That would be modern day Turkey where um, Tarsus was. But Saul's not going to stay in Tarsus. Uh, he's going to end up, we find out later, in one of the great early churches in Antioch. That's where he's going to finally end up and be a part of that dynamic congregation there. So we will meet him there in Antioch in chapter 13 and there he will have a new name. He will no longer be Saul. He will be called Paul. And guess who else will be there? Barnabas. Barnabas is going to be a part of that church too. And for a time they're going to make uh, a joint mission team. So the story, the story of the gospel going out is just beginning. The story of Paul's life as a missionary is just beginning. But this portion ends with verse 31. So I'm going to end with that too. So the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace as it was being built up. And as it continued in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit it kept increasing. So notice the emphasis there on Israel proper, Judea and Galilee and Samaria. Then the rest of chapter 9 is going to tell us a little bit more about Peter and the things he did and then in chapter 10 Peter will be the instrument of the most significant event to happen since the day of Pentecost. And we'll look at that soon. Let's pray. Lord may we be swift to serve you the way Barnabas was as Ananias was once you told him it was safe. As Paul was he immediately shared Jesus in Damascus and in Arabia and in Jerusalem. We ask you Father to show us what you have for us to do. And we're going to do it. And at the very least we know what we, we are supposed to do from scripture. So we're going to look there to find our, our thing. But Lord you're going to show us through our own experiences ways we can minister for you in this world. Please bless our church family as we seek to bless our fallen world with your light and with your truth in the glorious gospel of our Savior in whose name we pray. Amen. All right. Thanks for hanging in there.
come back next Sunday. You know what? It's Easter Sunday next week. That'll be special. God bless.